Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Chapter 24. Chess Piece. The raven was right. They needed to get James off the clifftop as soon as they could. Jenny stopped sobbing and, on the raven's suggestion, helped James up. It was still easy to lift him, but not as easy as it had been earlier in the week. It turned out that the raven had not come alone. Along with the sorry-looking chairman, a black Audi was waiting by the side of the road. Jenny helped James limp over the grass. He still felt frighteningly cold to her touch, and his trousers crunched and creak and shed ice with every step. The heating in the car was gloriously warm. Jenny took her jacket off and put it over James like a blanket. He didn't manage to say very much, but he nodded and shook his head to her questions as they drove. They were not in the car for very long, as it turned out, only a few minutes. Their destination was the private moorings at the marina. The hooded man, who had been driving the car, opened the door and helped James out. Jenny followed them. She couldn't help but peer cautiously up at the cliff face that loomed tall above the royal yacht. It was intimidating, to say the least, knowing that the whole cliff could tumble down at any minute. I wouldn't worry about that. Merlina must have seen her looking. We found the mole and persuaded him to work for us. His first job is to dig up all the explosive charges. He seemed quite happy to do it once he heard that the girl was not going to be coming back for a while at least. She followed the hooded man, who was carrying James up the gangplank onto the boat. They walked along the side deck and in via a small door that the hooded man had to stoop to get through. Inside was the most luxurious room that Jenny had ever been in, even compared to the royal pavilion. Well, it didn't have dragons hanging from huge chandeliers, but it was filled with antique furniture and panelled with beautiful wood and gold-framed oil paintings. There was a polished bar that ran along one side, and behind it was a huge selection of expensive-looking bottles of all shapes and sizes. They sat James on an antique sofa, on silk cushions, with some kind of animal fur blanket to cover him. The hooded man went to the bar and poured a small amount of golden liquid into two crystal tumblers. One he left on the bar, the other he brought to James, who sipped it and made a face. Ugh, he said. What is that? A Macallan 68, the hooded man said, taking a position by the door, looking out to the marina. Finest in the world. If that doesn't warm you up, nothing will. Are the prince and princess on board? Jenny asked, becoming a little more aware of exactly where she was. They are at a fancy dinner, Merlina said, from a perch at the bar. In the pavilion, as it happens. Could have been more of a barbecue, Jenny said, if number eight had had her way. Again, I apologise for underestimating you, Merlina said. It pays to be extremely suspicious in my line of work. But on the flip side, once you do manage to gain the trust of the royal family, there are upsides. Free tickets to Buckingham Palace, James murmured. He eased himself into a sitting position, wrapped in the fur and holding the golden liquid in the heavy glass in front of him. Perhaps, the bird said coyly, 
but I'm not sure that that is the sort of thing that you two are really interested in. Who was number eight? Jenny asked, honing in on what the bird was offering. Was she really the rightful owner of the treasure? I do not believe so. The bird hopped along the bar to the other glass of whiskey and took a long, slow peck. It withdrew its head and all of the feathers on its neck were standing on end. Then it shivered them back into place. She was a princess from a rival family to the owners, one that stood to lose if the treasure was ever returned. The complete story is unknown to me, but I do know parts of it. Who decided to give the treasures back? Jenny asked. That was the prince. The raven took another slow peck of whiskey. There's a lot of things that the Duke of Sussex wants to put right. That treasure was acquired two hundred years ago, in a deal that benefited one royal house in Tibet, while hurting another. It was authorised on the whimsical order of the prince regent. He had become obsessed with the Far East, and with some particular legendary artefacts. Like all rich and powerful people, he believed that he could buy whatever he wanted. So the treasures weren't stolen. James was looking a little more human now. He made the mistake of taking another sip of the drink. Jenny almost laughed at the face he made when he swallowed it. This is where my knowledge and our royal records are vague, Merlina said. The deal for the artefacts was proper. But whether the royal house of Tibet, who sold the treasures, was the rightful owner is less clear. They certainly had them in their possession at the time of the prince's deal. But it's not impossible that they had obtained them in a less than proper way. So number eight's family could be the rightful owners, James said, and they might be returned to the wrong family. Don't forget she was going to kill us, Jenny said, and a whole load of other people. Merlina continued. The items were procured and brought back to England. When the king found out what the prince had done, he was furious and said they should not be meddling with the affairs of other royal houses. He ordered the prince to return the items, but the prince kept them in a secret room under his stables. And now our current prince is taking them back. How does he know who to take them to? Jenny asked. He is returning them to the family that they were bought from. After that, the Tibetans can sort themselves out. It's not our business. The children were silent. Jenny was contemplating what it all meant. Stolen or bought and then returned. It seemed to make some sense at least. She still had more questions. And the key to the air, she asked. Where does that fit in? That is just a legend, Merlina said. It turned and stared hard at the hooded man as it spoke. It probably never existed, and was just made up as an extra bargaining tool between royal families. But up on the cliff, James started, we used the I think you've had enough of that whiskey, Jenny cut in. It seems to have warmed you up, though, she said. Are you feeling better? Uh, yes, he said. I can almost feel my skin again. Thank goodness for the peregrine falcon showing up. Uncle Perry saved us. And you saved the treasure, Merlina said, not to mention this boat and half the marina. The prince and myself are in your debt. Thanks, James said, a little uncertainty in his voice. What happens next? Jenny asked. For you two, a ride home. For the prince, a cruise to the far east to return the treasures. For the crows on the hill, well, 
I will think of some punishment for them. The rats and the moles were hired hands. They know not to take money from strange foreign princesses in the future. Those two rats, Jenny said, the ones that were in the van. They helped us. I mean, they also got us locked up. But without them, we wouldn't have made it in time. And? The bird cocked its head to the side. And they should get a reward, James said, for their effort. Merlina did not look too happy with the idea. I will look into it, the bird said tersely. It seemed to Jenny like their time was up. The treasures were safe, number eight was gone, and it was almost dinner time. One last thing, Merlina nodded to the hooded man. These are a gift. If you should ever need any help of a royal nature, then show these and you will be listened to. The hooded man gave a delicately carved pawn to Jenny. She turned the wooden chess piece over in her hand. It was beautiful and plain at the same time, if that were even possible. She couldn't help thinking that the choice of the specific piece might also be a message for the children. Thanks, they both said at the same time. And with that, their time in the yacht came to an end, and they were driven home by the hooded man, just in time for dinner. It was the second day of the school holidays, a cold Sunday, overcast and dull, and a busy shopping day in town. Jenny's family was spending Christmas this year at her grandparents in the countryside. They had a big old house with an even bigger garden that was surrounded by woods. Usually Jenny looked forward to staying there, but this would be the last time that James would be around before moving to Germany. They planned to meet up for hot chocolate at the library at 10am. Jenny was on time and ordered the drinks. James was late. You're late, she said sternly as he sat down. His face was slightly flushed and he was breathing hard. Sorry, he said smiling. I got held up and then had to run. You could at least look a little sorry. Your hot chocolate is definitely not hot anymore. And I've already finished mine. He kept smiling. What is it? It turns out that it's quite hard to find a decent place to live in Berlin, he said. And also, for some reason, no one has been particularly interested in renting our place. So does that mean... I'm staying, he said with a grin. Mum realised, after travelling out a bunch of times, that the commute isn't that bad. She's going to fly out during the week and then back at the weekends. Dad said he didn't mind, because she works so hard in the week that we hardly see her anyway, so it wouldn't be much different. That's great news, Jenny said. She got another hot chocolate, and they talked about their latest adventure. So, the king under the fort was right again, James said. About being a good digger? No, about not trusting the corvids. Those crows are a devious lot, and I definitely do not believe everything that Merlina told us. Jenny looked out through the wall of glass into the square. Seagulls were perched on the roof of the hotel opposite, ready to swoop down on any unsuspecting sandwich eaters. Pigeons pecked around the grounds at crumbs near the metal benches. There were no crows or magpies in sight. Merlina knows about the key to the air, she said, but didn't want to talk about it. Did you see the way she looked at the hooded man when it said that the key was just a legend? I must have missed it, James said. I was too busy being a human icicle. Merlina didn't want anyone to start looking for it. Jenny said, and I guess there are things that should be kept out of human hands. But we have the key, James said, 
I've got it in my bag with the two others. That was worrying Jenny. The three keys, together known as the Bones of Kerberos, were powerful. The Squiducken key, the Triple M key, and the key to the air. Each key had got them into big trouble before, and the key to the air very nearly got James killed. Do you think she's alive? Jenny asked. Number eight, I mean. James didn't answer straight away. I think, he started to say, then paused in thought before speaking again. When I was hanging through that door, it was so high, so cold I could hardly breathe, I couldn't even tell that I'd let her go. But in those clouds, those mountains, I think I saw a huge bird below us. I can't be sure, but I think it knew we were there, like it was waiting for us. All I know is that I was losing my grip on you, Jenny shuddered. You were slipping out of my hand, nothing I could do, and then suddenly I pulled you out and the door was gone. Thanks again, James said, for saving me. You'd have done the same for me. I'm not sure I could have, James smiled, in my fat and unfit state. Hey, Jenny said, I never said you were fat, just inactive, and a little lazy too. James had no comeback. He was staring out at the hotel opposite. Jenny followed his gaze to a room where, in the window, a young girl was looking out. There was a large dog at her side. Or actually, it looked more like a wolf. Is that who I think it is? Jenny said. Looks like Elf might have made it back from Tibet, James said. In which case, we could just be in for another adventure.